Listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Our scripture reading today is from Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. You can find that on pages 222-223 of your Pew Bible. It's Ruth 2, verses 1 through 17. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants." And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. The word of the Lord. Uh, We're actually coming to this, back to Ruth, after several weeks of talking about the resurrection. And so we need a a bit of review, and hopefully that will help our guests as well as we come back to Ruth. Uh, As you know, the title is, of course, Ruth, but as we've already seen, the main character actually is Naomi. Uh, the literature, the way it's constructed, the story, it's really a story about Naomi. Her suffering 
her devastation and desolation and how God restored her. We find this in the very first verses of of Ruth. You can see this in verse uh, 3 where the, the emphasis shifts from her husband, Elimelech, to verse 3, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. He's no longer anything but Naomi's husband. And then in verse 5, it says that she and her two sons, uh, she was left without her two sons and her husband, the woman. It is this woman that he's talking about now and her loss. And especially it's interesting in verse 5 as it talks about the loss of her boys Even though these were grown men and married, he uses the word for children, which is never used that way in Scripture. And it forms like a beginning bracket to the whole book. And the last bracket is when this situation is turned around. Ruth is married to Boaz, has a child, and then he uses that word again there and says, and the child was put on her knees. So he's, he's purposely saying she lost everything and she lost her children, these grown men, but God restored her through his providence. So this whole story is a beautiful uh, uh, unveiling of how God met her need, what God did for her. And of course, at the end of it, there's this neat surprise after all this story of this, the birth of this child. And the writer says, and by the way, this child was David's grandfather. And, and it really has the effect if you read it for the first time. No way. You mean she goes to Moab, loses everything and comes back and her daughter-in-law who's a Moabite marries this guy and this ends up being David's grandfather? That is incredible. So the story is about her suffering and how God restores her and then how that restoration affected generations. And we're to learn from this, of course, that uh, this is why it's such an encouraging story that God doesn't neglect your suffering. He didn't neglect her, even though it looked like everything had fallen apart for Naomi. Boy, look at my life. Look what a mess. I have nothing. And then she becomes uh, the mother of this wonderful child through Boaz and, and Ruth. And it's a story to tell us God resolves all suffering for believers. Now, in a New Testament context, we know that this only is finally accomplished in the new heavens and the new earth. But every bit of suffering is finally resolved for believers. We are brought to a full and complete happy ending. And this is a little picture of what God does for his people, as well as giving us a picture of the you might say temporary and provisional things that he does here on earth. But finally, there will be this wholeness and shalom that he brings to our lives in that final day. And then secondly, it's encouraging because this book teaches us that God, uh, he restores her. He brings fulfillment into her life through the love of his people, through the love of his people. The word uh, hesed is very important in the Old Testament and in its uh, version in the New Testament. But it, it is used constantly in the Psalms. And it's translated as 
faithful love or loyal love or unfailing love or as our version here, ESV, the steadfast love of God. And that love is used to describe both Ruth's and Boaz's love in this book. So that God's unfailing love, God's steadfast, loyal love, a love like a man who commits himself for life, tender, faithful, lifelong love for his wife, love so intense, it binds itself to the recipient's. It's not, this love has to promise and make oaths that it will love forever. That's the way this love works. It's a passionate love that makes a covenant to love forever and then sticks to that covenant. It's so passionate. That kind of steadfast love is shown by Ruth and her commitment to Naomi. And then Boaz and his commitment to Ruth and Naomi. And it becomes a reflection of God's Uh, steadfast love, so that the community feasting upon God's steadfast love brings that love to bear in each other's lives. And that is encouraging to think that, A, God will do this for you, that you will receive the steadfast love of God's people by His grace. And secondly, that you can be encouraged He'll do this through you. You'll be an instrument of His steadfast love to other people. And then to be encouraged that we as a body can be overflowing with this chesed for one another that will spill out into a destitute world. Glorious message, encouraging that God is aware of our suffering, but in the midst of suffering brings about through His steadfast love uh, not only to resolve us, but, but to make us abundant and fruitful as His people even in the midst of suffering. So this glorious message uh, of Ruth, and we come to this second chapter, and Ruth really becomes, uh, even though Naomi is the main, uh, uh, the main character, Ruth is brought forward as the main interest now, uh, of course, because of the romance that begins to uh, come to bear with Ruth and Boaz. At first, you're not sure what's going to happen in this exchange. And, and it's very interesting because it starts off in chapter 2 with an aside that Naomi had this relative, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. And you think, ah, a relative. Wonder who this guy is. It, it brings about some interest and it makes you start to wonder how important is he going to be? What What's going to happen with this fellow? And then the next verse, Ruth wants to go out into the fields. And as we saw several weeks ago, verse 3, she set out, went out and gleaned in the field after the reapers and happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. And of course, the emphasis in saying it as a kind of aside is to say that she didn't know what was going on. She was just reaping. So from her perspective, without knowing what was happening, she just happened to come to the field of Boaz. But as many commentators have pointed out, that's his way of saying, look what God did with Ruth. She's just out there reaping. God brought her to Boaz's field. And of course, as it all all unfolds, she ends up having the grandfather of David with this guy that she happened to come into his field. And then in the next verse, there's more of this. 
when it says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Uh, one commentator translates this, And wouldn't you know it, Boaz shows up from Bethlehem. So it has that feel of drama here. Introducing Boaz, and then a few verses later, And she happened to walk into his field. And wouldn't you know it, he shows up. You see, so the whole thing's unfolding about what's going to happen. And also, you've got at this point the idea all along, what's going to happen to Naomi? How's her life going to be healed through this? What is God going to do for this lady that's lost, lost everything? And we already had hints of that uh, from chapter 1, that even as, she, even as Naomi cried out in her bitterness toward the end of chapter 1, uh, against the backdrop of that is Ruth saying, uh, I'm giving myself to your God and to your people. And it's underscored when she came back, but Ruth was with her. Ruth was with her. And so there's this idea already before you get to chapter 2, Naomi's lost everything, but there's Ruth. There's Ruth. And she believes in the grace of God. And she's leaving everything to follow this God. And you just led to think, God's going to come through for this girl. Something's going to happen with her because she's thrown herself upon the mercy of God, left everything for him. And even though Naomi's crying out in bitterness as she comes to Bethlehem, the writer is saying, but Ruth was there. Even though Naomi may not have been adding up two plus two, Ruth was there and something's going to happen. And then right into chapter two, Ruth and Boaz. So I'm just trying to give you a little feel of of how the writer is a wonderful dramatist and how he's unfolding this story in such a a beautiful way. Now, the uh, title today is to to take refuge under his wings. And I take that from verse 12, where in response to her amazement at Boaz's uh, love and Boaz's concern and care for her, she falls on her face in verse 10. Why have I found favor in your eyes? She doesn't know what you know as a reader that you, you kind of want to tap her on the shoulder and say, this is, this is Elimelech's uh, relative. That's one of the reasons. She doesn't know that. Just this man, she comes into his field and suddenly he's, he's drawing her in to be an intimate with their family. I mean, she ends up eating with the family. And she's given double portions and she's been given the opportunity not to glean behind the gleaners, but to glean right with them. Just blessing after blessing poured out in her lap and, and she can't understand it. And she's asking, why should you do this? I'm a foreigner. The possibility would be as she knew that she could come to Israel and she might have been abused in terrible ways as a foreigner uh, in, in a foreign land. But... No, she's been shown the most amazing mercy, way beyond anything that was required. And that's one of the stories constantly in this, as we use the phrase, shocking goodness. Boaz is showing uh, love that, that has no explanation. It's love that just pours out beyond what anybody could expect. And she responds by falling on her face. But Boaz says in verse 11... All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Now, I wanted to explore this phrase a bit because 
If you'll back up to chapter 1 and remember what she says, that glorious testimony, one of the high points of the whole Old Testament in chapter 1, verse 16. Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. That means wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I'm committed to you in the whole of your life. And then the center part of this, your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death part me from you. So even if you die before me, I'm going to live in that place until I die, and I'll be buried right next to you. That's the commitment that she had. Leaving everything, all that was familiar to her, to go to a place she had never been to commit herself to uh, Ruth. But the thing I want to underscore here is that this wholehearted commitment to God, where she just gave herself completely up to His will, is summarized by Boaz, and really here by our writer as well, You that she basically put herself under the wings of God in salvation. And I want to connect these two things, that a wholehearted commitment to God, an all-of-life heart commitment to Him, essentially is taking refuge under His wings. We tend to think of commitment as gutting it out and serious, and we're going to uh, pledge ourselves and promise and take oaths. And yes, we do. But the essence of it, the heart of it, is this helpless dependence, this broken putting of your life in the hands and care of God joyfully, expectantly. God is going to take care of me from now on. It's a beautiful thought. It's a thought not just at the beginning of your Christian life, but every day, every hour of your Christian life. When you face tragedy and difficulty and uh, you face uh, relational difficulty, you face hardship of any kind, that you're always taking refuge under His wings. Always. It's a glorious thought that just kind of summarizes and is the essential part of your life with God. Putting yourself under His wings. Phyllis Tribble talked about this uh, commitment of Ruth, and she compares it with Abraham's commitment. You remember in Genesis chapter 12 where God appears to Abraham and gives him very specific promises, and he's to leave this land where he lives, Ur, and come all the way down into a land he's never been. And... Ms. Tribble is comparing these two things. And she says, look at what Abraham had. Specific promises from God. God appearing to him. Giving him promises about his future. And the whole earth would be affected by the children that would come forth from him. And he did leave family, but he came with a huge retinue. (laughs) Uh, his family and hundreds of servants and, you know, it's like a small city moving down into Palestine. And here's Ruth with nobody except this one destitute widow, Naomi. And she had no specific promise from God. She had no revelation from God. 
It was just everyday life being confronted through Naomi and that family with apparently the promises of who this God is, Yahweh, and she had come to believe in Him and entrust her life to Him. But it was a radical commitment. And by many it's called the most radical, uh, amazing commitment in all of the Old Testament. Is Ruth saying at this point, I leave everything to walk after this widow. And it's interesting... Uh, Laura Donaldson says that Cherokee women, Cherokee women, when they've heard this story, they identify not with Ruth, but her counterpart, Orpah. You know, there were two women married to the two sons. Orpah, after much urging from Naomi, decides, yeah, you're right. I need to go back to my people. I need to see if I can find a husband and get security and all the things. It makes sense. You know, I... I you're, you're right, this is crazy that I would go to a foreign land and maybe get killed and be destitute for the rest of my life. Yeah, I, I hear you. And she goes back. And the Cherokee women identify with her, and they think that Ruth does something that's perverse because she rejects her traditions and her sacred ancestors. Just to underscore how radical it was how seemingly walking off a cliff into nothing that seemed in that kind of culture. If Orpah followed the sensible advice of Naomi, Ruth, it would seem, threw caution to the wind and made a foolish decision, so it appears. She cast her lot with a destitute mother-in-law in an alien land. But here's the cool thing. Though outwardly and according to the world, it was such a foolish choice, in her mind, it was the only safe place to be. In her mind, she was putting herself under the protective wings of Yahweh. And of course, you know the image of a mother bird and her wings are out and she's keeping her chicks warm in perhaps a storm or whatever. And wouldn't that just be so cool to be under a mama's wing? <laughs> if you're a baby chick and there's storms were going on, you know, and you're like, I could be blown out of this thing. And you just all hovered down under mother's wings, you know, safe and dry and warm and feeling her little heartbeat. I won't go into a bird heartbeat, but that would be really neat. <clears throat> um, it's kind of that feeling I used to have when I was going to school as a uh, second, third grader. And I loved getting in on a freezing morning. We'd get in a car and they, this, these people in the carpool always had their car warm when you got in it, you know. And you'd get in there, you're all bundled up warm and you just think, let's just drive for a couple hours. <laughs> it just feels so good. Don't let me go to school, you know. But there's this idea of comfort this idea of protection, this idea of security, the idea that here's where I will be healed. Here's where I'll be made whole. Here's where my future is. Here is where everything good will come to me under the wings of Yahweh. And so the radical commitment that we make to Him is really coming from this helpless dependence on His steadfast love. That's why we're so radical. That's why we can say to everything else, I don't care what I lose. I've got to have this love. I've got to be under the wings of this God, under His care. And I don't want to be anywhere else but under His care. So she, Ruth had everywhere to go from the stand, 
world standpoint, a whole much better place to go. But in her mind, there was nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. But under the care of Yahweh. You remember in John 6 when a whole bunch of disciples had left Jesus and he turned to the twelve and he says, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's a great statement. Go? Where would we go? There's nowhere else to go. And almost the understood thing is... Are you willing to die? Are you going to lose your life? Well, even if we do, we have nowhere else to go. If we lose our life, fine. We have nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. You are life. Everything else is death. And so the Psalms talk about this, give this image. Psalm 57, verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge in the shadow of your wings. I take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. In Psalm 36. How precious is your kessid, your steadfast love. Oh God, the children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. You see, the shadow of your wings is equated with this steadfast, loyal, faithful, unfailing love. That's what the wings mean under the care of that constant love. Psalm 61, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. And you can go on Psalm 63, Psalm 91, over and over again. And so, in Romans 12, interesting that when Paul gives that command to make yourself a living sacrifice, that complete giving up of yourself to God, he says, by the mercies of God, I urge you. See? Really, it's a way of saying, by his kessed love, by his unfailing love, I urge you, Give yourself up to his will. Be a living sacrifice in his hands. What he does through his love is overcomes our suspicions. You've ever, I play with children sometimes. I shouldn't do this in this way, but they'll have a sucker, you know. And I'll say, hey, can I have your sucker? You know, like that. And generally, they're smart enough to know, mm-mm, you know. And they pull away. They even back up a little bit in case I'm going to grab it out of their hands. The baby and a candy thing really isn't true, of course. But, uh, but if they really believe and trust me, if I say, can I have your sucker for a little bit? And I say, I'll give it back. They might pull it out of their mouth and give it to you. But still, they're just watching you, you know, just watching you the whole time. Like my, uh, <laughs> I love my niece one time. Apparently at my, she was about five years old, uh, Catherine, and apparently at their home, my brother Mark, if you left the table, the, the rule was the food is up for grabs, okay? You leave the table, the food's going to be gone when you get back. So don't leave the table and think that you can just come back in. So we're out eating catfish, all right? And I'm, I'm sitting at the end of the table, and she's sitting right next to me. We had a wonderful relationship, so much fun together. And she looks, suddenly she looks up at me. She says, I've got to go to the bathroom. I said, okay, that's fine. Don't eat my food. <laughs> and, of course, I didn't. I said, well, of course I won't eat your food. You know, I'm not, I won't eat your food. And she just kind of looks at me like, I mean it, you know. <laughs> 
So then she gets up and she's just around the corner and she gives it this. She says, <laughs> she was that concerned, you know, that I'm going to eat her food. And uh, this, this really is, it's comical, but it's kind of sad because we just can't give God our sucker, so to speak, you know? We're just so scared he's going to eat our food. We're just so scared he's going to mess our life up. We're just so scared that if I put my life in his hands, what might he do to me? I mean, what might he do to me? You mean just I'm just at his dis- disposal from now on? And what is that? But suspicion. You're suspicious. I'm suspicious of his goodness. We don't really believe that he has this hesed love. We don't want to give him our lives. We're afraid we won't get it back at least the way I want it, you know. Back in one piece, what might he ask me to do? What will be my losses? What will I not be able to do? What will I have to give up? All of those questions are questions that, that, that are about his love. That he's not a good God and you can't trust him. You can't give him your sucker. <laughs> and the issue is taking refuge under his wing. Because there's no other place for wholeness. There has been in every human being a breakup of our personality apart from God. A kind of implosion of self as Paul describes the fact that we live for ourselves in 2 Corinthians 5. And there's a desperation to be filled. A desperation to have meaning and significance and pleasure and satisfaction. And there's a vacuum that's in our lives. Have you ever, I'm sure you've done the thing where you suck on the bottle until there's such a vacuum it's just pulling your lip into the bottle you know far side has a deal where a couple of kids are there and there's a kid in the bottle you know <laughs> that's a, what a vacuum will do for you right and what's that sucking noise in our lives that sucking noise is our trying to fill our life with anything but god because we don't trust what he'll do with our lives. And oh, we'll, entr- we'll entrust our, our lives to TV and books and, and work and family. And we'll entrust our lives to all kinds of things. Many of them legitimate. But not to put your life in the hands of God. But the sad thing is that there are these wings in a storm. And he's saying, come and take refuge under these wings. Isn't it such a sad tragedy that we won't? What a tragedy. And that's what Ruth is about to tell us, that there are wings, even the manifestation of that love among the people of God that we'll experience here. But it's all a result of God and His love. And so our life riddled with fears, fears of death and judgment and failure and success and fears of relationship and intimacy and acceptance. And it comes out in every kind of way in our life from anger and pride to substance abuse or immorality or busyness, success, whatever. And it's all an implosion of self, a fractured self punctured with fear because we're not under the wings of God. And to be cherished by God and experience that, to be forgiven and accepted, to be received as his own children and to have free access into his presence, to know our sins are removed and that he's committed to our good 
even in the midst of the most difficult things. And isn't it amazing that John says, as the kind of apex of his whole description of the love of Christ, he says, the love of God casts out fear. It casts out fear. Isn't that glorious? When you really understand his commitment to you, his chesed love, it casts out fear. And fear is at the root of so much that we do to hurt each other. So much that we do that's destructive. And it's our evil suspicions about God that prevent us from giving ourselves up to His will. Well, I'll just touch on this second thing, but I've already mentioned it. Here, here's this you know, first point about that if you give yourself up to Him, it's because you see that You're getting under the wings of His love. And those who take refuge under His wings, they begin to pour themselves out in love for others. And that's what Ruth did. It's recognized in chapter 3. He says, you know, it's not only your kessed love to Naomi, but now you're showing a kessed love to me. You didn't run after the younger men, but you came after me to have me as your husband. And uh, I think there's a reference in the end of chapter 2 of... of, uh, Boaz, chesed love that he's showing to Naomi and to Ruth together. And so, take refuge in him under his wings and he will make you into a lover of people. Taste his chesed more and more and you in turn will be the instrument for others to taste the chesed of God, the steadfast love of God. That is what Ruth is about. In fact, commentators talk about the way this literature is set up, that it's, it's putting forth Ruth and Boaz mainly, and Naomi herself as, as a model, but to say, this is the way to live. This is the way community needs to function. This is the commitment we need to have to each other to care for one another. And it's wonderful that later in chapter 3, verse 9, Ruth says, after she comes to him, this is the threshold incident, right? I mean, the, the, the threshing floor incident. And she comes where he's sleeping, and she puts, she gets under the cover where his feet are, and he says, who are you? <laughs> Good question, you know. A woman's down there under your covers at your feet, and you're asking, who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your, it says, covers, but the word is the same one. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And it's a direct connection that the way God is showing his wings of love to Ruth is that Boaz will put his specific wings of love over her. That is is so intimate and, and direct. It's... It's amazing that you could be the actual instrument where somebody experiences the chesed love of God. And of course, in marriage, it should be regular men that our wives experience that chesed love from us. But in all of our relationships, the glory, the dignity of becoming, taking refuge under His wings helplessly and then becoming instruments to help others experience 
refuge under His wings. And so, rather than an implosion of fear, you and I, by His grace, can become the active, hands-on manifestation of the wings of God to others. The concrete, visible expression on the ground of the refuge of God. Is there anything better? (laughs) Anything better in life? And yet, I know how often I don't do that. It is by His grace that we become this, that we show His mercy and speak of His mercy in Christ. And brothers and sisters, turn with me to page 251. The shadow of His wings, from a New Testament perspective is the shadow of Jesus Christ on the cross. His love is, of course, proven in the death of His Son. God came in the person of Christ and suffered in our place. God the Son bore punishment, as Paul says to the elders in Acts twenty twenty eight. Care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. A striking statement to apply blood to God. And of course, it has to do with the glorious person of Christ who is God and man. But Paul says, care for the church of God, which God obtained with his own blood. And so, this hymn, Beneath the Cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand, the shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land. Talk about faithful wings of love. The shadow of His wings, the shadow of the cross itself, that symbol of His dying love for us. A home within the wilderness, a rest upon the way from the burning of the noontide heat and the burden of the day. Upon the cross of Jesus, mine eye at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. And from my stricken heart with tears, two wonders I confess, the wonders of redeeming love. And my unworthiness, I take, O cross, thy shadow for my abiding place. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face. That's what Ruth did. I have no other sunshine. I give up everything but the sunshine of Yahweh. I put myself under his wings. The shadow of his wings become my abiding place. And for us, of course, that's the person of Jesus Christ and his love shown in the cross. And so the writer is able to say, content to let the world go by, to know no gain nor loss, my sinful self, my only shame, my glory, all the cross. That's by God's grace what we have the privilege of doing by His mercy. As First Peter says, casting all your cares on Him because He cares for you. You give him something broken and full of fear that shows itself in everything from pride to self-destruction. And by his grace, he gives you back something that in the very end is perfect and whole and rich with joy and love and a glorious light in this world. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we praise you. We honor you that you have given yourself so freely to us that you have loved us in Christ Jesus, demonstrated your love in Him. As Paul says that we might, every once in a while, 
care for someone and give our life up for a good person, but God shows His love in it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, this is Kessid love that almost redefines it. A love that we couldn't have believed, we couldn't have imagined that you would take on our punishment, what we had done against you, and you would bear the horrible pain and suffering of it so that you might only embrace us, so that you might provide a shadow of forgiveness, a shadow of restoration, a shadow of progressive healing of our lives, a shadow of freedom from the implosion of self. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the love that we've been shown. And give us grace that today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Lord, we will, in this simple but most profound way, put ourselves under the refuge and shadow of the mighty wings of Yahweh through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. my fears away won't you chase my fears away then shall my soul with rapture trace the wonders of thy